With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company on TNT Radio. Three fabulous guests on the program this hour. I'll catch up with Alan Jones very, very shortly. We'll also speak with Victorian MLC, the Liberal Party's Renee Heath. Of course, they had the Mulgrave by-election over the weekend. And although Labor retained the seat, it was the seat vacated by the previous Labor Premier, the chairman, Daniel Andrews, um, they've lost a lot of bark in the move, in the change from one MP to the other. We'll go through all of that with Renee, and we'll also talk about uh, a document that's fallen off the back of a truck, which paints a very bad picture for vaccine injuries in the fire service in Victoria and a document that the government didn't want anyone to see. So we'll talk to Renee about that. And then an internationally respected adolescent and child psychiatrist will talk to me about gender transitioning and the fact that clinicians and GPs need to wake up to themselves and understand what they're dealing with, something that is dangerous and enduring for so many young people. A uh, couple of quick words on our chat site. You can go to tntradio.live and you can go to the chat site, which is uh, you get the menu on the left-hand side, go down, look for chat box, and off you go. Uh, Lozzie says, how do I get the live stream? She means, or Lozzie means, the video stream. From today, we are now streaming video. And we'll be streaming video on all sorts of platforms. They will increase by the day from today. So look out for that. But you can simply go to the tntradio.live website. That's the best one. Go to the website uh, and you'll be able to downstream tntradio.live. You can do that. Um, how do I get the live stream? That's how you do it. Someone else has asked. I hope I've answered your question. Deborah says, looking good, Chris. Where are your glasses? Well, funny you say that, Deb. Um, in the last couple of months, I got a cataract uh, operation done on an eye that was really crook, a very bad eye that I needed glasses for. And now I'm to the stage where um, I really, in this format, looking at something, looking at things that are close up because I'm short-sighted, I don't need glasses at all. Now, I could wear glasses, which means I could see the other side of the studio. I could see who might be coming in the door. Um, it's helpful, but I don't need them. So if it's okay by you, Deb, I'll just ditch the glasses. Um, when does Alan Jones come on? He'll be joining us in about three minutes' time. Um, Chris says, Tony, no makeup on radio. Yeah, well, uh, when you end up being on video streams and television, you just don't mention anything about makeup, all right? Because some days you need makeup, all right? Some days the face is crying out, cover me, cover me. Um, and after staying up until three o'clock this morning watching the World Cup of Cricket, I, I think I needed a little bit today. Uh, one here from Alex. Chris, you're looking great on the live stream or the video stream. Welcome back to TV. You've been missed on this uh, televisual medium. Keep up the great work and looking forward to hearing your chat with another legend, Alan Jones. Now, I don't know whether you've been following the story about ADF sites around Australia, Australian Defence Force sites. Um, there was a story back in September run by news.com.au and Charles Miranda 
about how these critical defence bases in Australia have been neglected for decades. And this is so typical of previous governments that think they don't have to invest in defence. They think, well, we're not in a war. Why do we need to do that? Um, well, if you don't want to be in a war, you've got to invest in your assets because that's the best way to defensively say you don't want to get anywhere near us because we are equipped and we're ready to react when we need to defend our sovereignty and defend our land. But, of course, the Labor Party in particular has had a long history of not looking after the ADF and not spending on defence force infrastructure. Uh, Kevin Rudd, for instance, cut back on military expenditure greatly when he was Prime Minister of Australia. Well, I have it from a very, very reliable source that late last week a meeting took place with a particular minister in the federal Labor government, and that particular minister who has uh, a portfolio related to defence, he made the point in a room at a defence facility the 28 ADF sites would be shut down in the next 12 to 18 months. 28. So here we are attempting to try and, you know, look after our land, making sure that there are uh, there isn't a conflict in the Pacific that could threaten our country and boasting about spending more on defence. And what are we doing? Shutting down 28 bases. 28 crucial defence bases will be shut in Australia in the next 12 to 18 months. That is the information I've been told from someone who can be relied on, who has given me information in the past and has been spot on. Now, I'm going in pursuit of answers to that piece of information because if it's true, it is catastrophic for the defence of this country. How can you just turn your back on 28 Defence Force bases while you're trying to tell the public that we are committing to defence infrastructure and defence spending more than any other government? It's a complete lie. It's complete hypocrisy, and we'll go in search of some truth behind that for you on TNT Radio. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. For those listening from other parts of the world, and thank you for a couple of uh, chat messages I've got from people in the United States. Thank you very much for listening. I've got Australia's undisputed king of commercial talkback radio, a fellow who was a former teacher, a former advisor to a prime minister, a Grand Slam winning rugby coach, they could do with him now, uh, now host of his own current affairs show on ADH.TV. Alan Jones, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you very much, Chris. It's very kind of you. Um, the tide is turning on Anthony Albanese and Labor. Well, I've got to say, Simon ago, Benson's I mean, article ago, in The, the Australian over the weekend was brilliant. He put all the pieces together. He refuses to deal with the issues that mean so much to Australians, and he's on borrowed time, isn't he? Look, I have said this uh, months ago. The honeymoon's over, long over. Look, it, it's very hard to be not be personal here, but Alba just doesn't have the gears. I mean, it's as simple as that. You, you've got seven times... Uh, Peter Jennings has done a very interesting analysis of of Anthony Albanese's forays into foreign policy. Seven times he has said that he was catching up with various leaders from Biden to Xi to that Papua New Guinea Prime Minister. And I quote the words, I really look forward to forging new relationships in Australia's national interest, but also renewing relationships and cementing them as well. 
So that's what he says. Now, then at the same time, way back in November 22, he said um, he emphasised the importance of a rules-based free and open trade and investment environment that will support economic recovery, strengthen supply change. That was 2022. 2023, he said in San Francisco, he'll advance Australia's priorities of free trade and open and rules-based in the region, supply chain resilience and supply... I mean, the bloke just <laughs> is... Hey? I mean, just change the date... And change yes. the change the spot that you're in. I mean, he's never been good at speeches, has he? he, he, uh, he, he he's fa- been found out many times to copy them. Can you imagine? Yes. Can you imagine Bob Hawke or Paul Keating or John Howard saying this sort of stuff? I mean, we've had a 30 year history of this APEC thing, and here's old Albo saying we're catching up and we're cementing. And the, the, it'll be the time about the Middle East. It'll be time to begin to have discussions about what happens in the future of Gaza. I mean, he's a spectator in his own parade. Look, 21 times, by the way, 21 times. He's had 21 overseas trips in a year. 21 overseas trips. And here he is going away when Peter Dutton said, you should be at home. There are 84 foreign criminals on the loose on our streets and perhaps 340 more to come. But no, Albo goes away to, say, cementing cementing relationships and he's catching up in San Francisco. And here he is. This is his government who in June... Now, what's the date today? June. We're, what are we? Nearly December, are we? June. Yeah, we're almost December. He was warned in June. (coughs) Pardon me. The High Court was likely to reverse its previous judgment and order the release of foreign criminals who'd served their sentences but were, for whatever reason, unable to be deported to their country of origin. We don't deport them, can you believe it, because the country of origin believes in the death penalty. Well, why don't we deport them? That's, that's their worry. However, yeah. the Albanese was told back in June. So despite all this notice, all this notice, no doubt public service advice, completely flat-footed, had no idea what to do, and in the end... Peter Dutton led the way brilliantly, and Dutton has had a magnificent fortnight in politics. He called the shots. Now, Albanese was absolutely clueless. They had notice about all of this. They didn't know how to deal with it. They should have been prepared, and it's now in a world of political pain, not because the High Court made this awkward decision, but because of its own ineptitude on all of these issues. I mean, six weeks six weeks after the October 7 atrocities in Israel and this eruption down here where I live of gas the Jews and hate speech, it took him that long to ring Netanyahu and he mm. couldn't decide really what was the big problem. Are we, oh, do we, do we, are we anti-Semitic or what are, we, what are we doing? Because, you see, Chris, because how many of their Labor Party branches have been stacked with some of these people? Yeah. And out there in Western Sydney, Tony Burke and Jason Clare and all these people, yeah. they've got 27 and 32% of these people, and they're sort of all Muslims. Now, I've got nothing against Muslims. I'm talking about militant Islamization of this yeah. country or any other country. That's, that's what these people are about. And he yeah. didn't have the guts to stand up and say, and repeatedly say, well, this is unacceptable in a country that I lead, and repeat it. But no, he's going to boost Australia's military strength by getting nuclear submarines, I'm telling you now that these things won't arrive. The American government haven't even approved the release of the nuclear technology from America to Australia. 
because yeah, they believe true. it will reduce. Yeah, they believe it will reduce their effectiveness and their efficiency. So Albo's up there saying, "Oh, we're going to go to the nuclear submarines." Well, not for a decade. What do we do in the meantime? I heard your comments yeah. about there about closing defence bases. What do we yeah. do in the meantime? I mean, then we've got the energy crisis as well. It, it, it's extraordinary. Everywhere you turn, this bloke is really out of his depth. And yet, uh, following the voice, Dutton will vote no. Dutton hasn't put a foot wrong. And in the Prime Minister's absence last week, Dutton completely dominated the Parliament. I warned yeah. ages ago the honeymoon was over. Well, I'll tell you what, it's now a divorce. Now exactly. A divorce. Mike, who's listening uh, from Australia, has just said on our chat line, Albanese must go yesterday. Chris has said Albo is worse than Rudd. Uh, Mike says both as bad as each other. Tony says Albo should have resigned the Sunday after the referendum. He'll go down as the worst prime minister ever. And by geez, we've had some shockers in recent years. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I want to talk about what he did and what he said at APEC. Uh, APEC. Alan, I wonder whether he confronted Xi Jinping, as we would expect, and protested about the way his callous Navy deliberately injured our divers <laughs> by activating the sonar. Um, and now they're, they're in, uh, you know, sick bay trying to recover from the uh, from that attack. They were well aware of the fact that we had divers in the water at the time. And he won't say what he said to Xi Jinping. That tells me he didn't have the guts to front him. Oh, no, there's no doubt about that. But hang on, what about when he met Biden? When he was in opposition, forget what you might think about Julian Assange or whatever. He only published Julian Assange, what everybody else published. The Washington Times, the New York, Washington Post, New York Times, they published all that stuff. And he did that as a publisher. He didn't take the material. The material was given to him. And in opposition, <coughs> pardon me, in opposition, Albo said, look, enough is enough. The bloke's been locked up with no charges, no charges of liberty and smoke. Enough is enough. Well, now he's in government. He's had how many meetings with Biden? More than you and I have had feeds. Yeah. All he's meeting with Biden, what results he got about Assange? None. Nothing. So it's the same with China. So in America, he's saying to Joe, standing side by side with Sleepy Joe, and he's saying, you know, we're about human rights. We're about freedom. We're about universal values. We're about the international, international commitment to the freedom of peoples. Then he goes to China which abuses all of the things that he allegedly stood for, stood for with Sleepy Joe and makes no none of these comments at all. He, they said, oh, he's, what do they call him? He was walking, running down the streets of South Sydney, Jersey, and they thought he was wonderful. It was lovely. Now his picture taken and shaking hands. I mean, honestly, you, yeah. any prime minister worth two bob would be saying, these are the issues I will be raising with President Xi. There they are, because he's the Prime Minister of Australia, he's representing us, he should tell us what he's going to say. He doesn't even have a hit list. There is no list. When you go to APEC, these are the issues I'll be raising at APEC. No, no idea. He just said, oh, we're going to cement our ties. Say the same thing as he said in 2022. You know, we're going to have sustainable and inclusive economic growth. This is weak as water, isn't it? Yeah, oh, all dear. that stuff it is. means nothing. Yeah. means nothing. Yeah. And see, when he got to Xi, none of these things, and Xi's just laughing. And as you say, yes. here they are, they're intercepting the, the, the Toowoomba in the in the middle of uh, straits that waters that are international waters and try to bump us out of the road and our submariners get get injured. Yeah, repulsive. I need to take a quick break. Uh, let's have a breather. Old Crokey has sent me an email saying still looking good as usual via audio. Chris, thank you very much, Old Crokey. Um, he says those 28 defence sites would make perfect land releases for a government wanting to increase new supplies of housing. 
I suspect that that's exactly why they're selling those land uh, army bases, but we'll find out a little bit more, mate. Thank you very much for your email. We'll take a break. Back with Alan Jones after this. You should hear what Patrick Henningsen's talking about. So all the Israelis are really escalating air attacks and bombing attacks uh, to a degree that we haven't even seen before. Why this escalation? Why is it happening right now? This is a big problem, and this has been going on now for four weeks, ladies and gentlemen, and still no calls for a ceasefire, no definitive or categorical calls anyway from the U.S. leadership, from those who, from the onset, let's face it, they were backing this military action by Israel uh, on the Gaza Strip. And everybody thought, well, how bad could it be? How long could it go? Here we are a month later. We're still here. We're still talking to you. We're still reporting this. And another hospital was uh, hit last night as well. Well over 30 medical facilities and hospitals have been uh, hit and uh, taken out of action. In some cases, pulverized by the Israeli occupation forces or the IDF as it's uh, widely known. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Lights is Britain far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far thelightpaper.co.uk If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. As I mentioned, our video streaming began today. You'll find that from tonight, it will be included in many other streaming services where you'll be able to get TNT live, not just the audio, but of course the visuals as well. You can do that on my favourite social media site, which is X, otherwise known to us um, older users as Twitter. I can't get Twitter out of my mind. I can't stop saying you tweet, not post, you tweet. Anyway, maybe I'll get used to the new name X, but you can see and watch the video streaming of this particular program and TNT Radio right now on X, if you're wondering. Alan Jones is with me. Just back on Albo. Albo was actually boasting. Now, why did that, Chris, one one thing, why, why did they change it from Twitter to X? What's X mean? I don't know. Well, this, is, this is his big slogan for all these other I'm companies. I'm a dinosaur. I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, Albo has boasted on X, otherwise known as Twitter, about mm. meeting up with BlackRock boss Larry mm. Fink. Now, only his mm. virtue signaling climate evangelist <laughs> would say wow to that. Oh, God. Yes, BlackRock. What are they going to do? They're going to build a battery. The biggest battery, a $500 million battery. Yeah. Hello, can this, you there? Well, yes, someone's ringing. Is that me ringing you or you ringing them? BlackRock, $500, $500 million battery, the Waratah Super Battery, and it'll be built on the side of the Munmora coal-fired power station. And, and the thing, what well, it began in May, I think, and they got it completed in August 25, I don't know, a battery. So here we are, we're, we're closing down the cheapest form coal-fired power when the rest of the world... Are, when, when China are opening two coal-fired power stations a week, we're going to renewables, we're going to buy our, tur- our wind turbines and our solar panels from China. They're laughing at us. So we're sending all the coal, exporting, you know, $500 million worth of coal to China so that they can build co- uh, solar panels and wind turbines, and we then import them back. And what do we do with all these things when they're no longer vi- viable? I mean, Think where do we dump them? Hey? 
So we've got stick them in a gigantic up. pit and make mountains yeah. out of them. No, no, no pit would be big enough. I mean, it's unbelievable. And here we are, a resource capital of the world. Only Russia yeah. has got more yeah. resources than we have, and we've got coal and gas. The biggest component of the cost of living crisis is energy, which Albo said he'd reduce. See, Albo said 15 times during the election campaign, you'll be better off under Labor. You know, and denigrating because Brittany Higgins, of course, attacked Scott Morrison. and They used Brittany Higgins to sign to demolish the Morrison government. And they succeeded and gave her three million afterwards. And no one's asking any questions. Where are you, Peter? Keep asking how Brittany Higgins got three million bucks. And no yeah. one knows. Why did she Please get it? Do. However, you know, Albo said you'll be better off. Well, is there one person listening to us today who feels that they're better off? I mean, it's unbelievable. Wherever you yeah, turn, no it's a mess. Now, listen, did you go to the rock yes. concert over the weekend? I th I'm sure no. you would have at Allianz yeah. Stadium featuring Robbie oh, Williams. Sure. No, I did not. No, I did not. <laughs> but, but, but I have to say, it was a very sad story there where yeah. one lady, I mean, why do people do these things? I mean, we know that everyone wants to get home as soon as they can, but there are steps that you go down the steps and sadly, this lady, and she was over 70, or she was 70 at least, decided to step over the seats and she fell. And she passed away today. It's terrible. I mean, just you, just, you know, just do it the way. Go by the rules. Although, as I said to you last week, that stadium in Paris where they played the final and semi-finals of the Rugby World Cup, it ought to be condemned. Uh, the pad paddock's great. The, the, the playing area is fantastic. But the facilities around it are woeful. Absolutely well, woeful. Al Allianz. Well, you were very, very keen on getting Allianz built. I mm. wasn't. But you're a member of the mm. trust. And oh, I know, hang on, I know I fought that battle on my own and they threatened to sack me and do everything else. And we got did. there. You go on. Yeah, the New South Wales Premier Chris Minns now says that concerts at Allianz will be held at full volume. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Right. I think you could only have, what was it, six events all year or some ridiculous yeah, number yeah. like that. Good on him. He's right. 100% he is, he is. right. And if you don't yeah. like it, if you don't like it, suck it up. I mean, honestly, we're tired of all these nimby people who just want to destroy the happiness and pleasure of everybody else. I wanted a roof on the stadium. It's the only battle I lost. I wanted a roof on the stadium because you could then perform. You can have concerts, whether it's wet or whatever. And yeah. the arts community have no money ever. They're always asking government for money. Well, you wouldn't have to ask them anymore. They'd make enough money there to be able to sustain the art industry, arts industry forever. Yeah. Let's go from arts to sport. And Australia has won the one-day cricket World Cup. I stayed up until 3 a.m. You would have tried to, wouldn't you? Yes, I did. I did. I did. Oh. And look, I, I'm not being wise after the event, but all these experts were saying it was all India. I said on my program last Wednesday, I thought Australia would win. I thought they had a better all-round team. But I'll tell oh. you a factor in this. I'll tell you a factor in all of this. Yeah. And that is, and, and again, the great Stephen War said two days before the final was played that the hero of the hour of the tour is this Travis Head, and he was phenomenal. His wickets are falling around him everywhere last night. He just went after them. But there's another factor here, Chris, and credit has to be given. I think Patrick Cummins has done an absolute, not the fact that he elected to bowl and not the fact that he made good bowling changes and the field placings were right and so on. It's clear that he has built a very happy team. It's the nature of Patrick. I've known him since he was about 15. It's the nature of Patrick to behave in that way. He's not a know-all. He's very collegiate. He wants people involved in the decisions. He takes the bowlers. Do you want to bowl on this? What do you want to bat on this? And he, you can see the players are happy. There were yeah. 15 of them there, all fit and ready and well. Even when something goes wrong in the field, someone has a bit of a laugh. 
when something goes good, they sort of, you know, there's none of this stupid carry on. Mitchell Stark gets a wicket and throws his finger in the air. That's about it. But it's a happy side. And Patrick yeah. has created this. I give credit to Tim Payne as well, because Tim Payne and Patrick were similar people in terms of their approach towards teammates. There was no, you know, I'm the, I'm the king here. I'm telling you what to do. You'll do none of that. It's very collegiate. He's got a happy side. And now as I texted him today and I said, you're now at the top of the world. Enjoy the view. Yeah, it's incredible. You're right, you know, tactically courageous, but also an inspiration to his team, and they are a happy bunch. Now, Hamish Hamish McClellan has gone as chair of Rugby Australia. Another good step in the right direction. Yes, yes, it is. The only point I'd make is he's gone and should have been gone months ago, and he had nothing to contribute. Uh, And he and the other fool, the, the McClellan Messiah, who couldn't coach a pig to be dirty. He's gone. So, <laughs> however, the problem is this. Now, you've got Joe Roth, who is the president of Australian Rugby, and Daniel Herbert on the board, and Phil War previously on the board, is now the CEO. All of those boys played outstandingly for Australia. They're wonderful internationals. But they were on the board... And part of the away you go Hamish and yes, yes, we'll have Eddie and supporting all of this, never once raising their hand to put in a full stop. Now, I'm simply saying, and I don't mean any disrespect to these three gifted young Australians who gave a lot as players to Australian rugby. They have been part of the problem. They condoned the behaviour of McLennan and Jones, who ran massively over budget, I'm told millions over budget at the World Cup. Jones with 11 assistant coaches running out and buying Joseph Suali for $5 million, $1.7 million a year with money they didn't have. Now, all of those things were done. And then, of course, attacking Rugby League to such an extent that Rugby League are now saying, well, look, you go and plunder any rugby union player you want and we'll give you a discount on the salary cap. So it created all of those things. And these three men were there. Now, I'm simply saying at the end of the day, you've got to just say, look, I think we need a clean out of the whole board. And we need to start again. Yeah. The coach should be gone. He was. The co- the uh, chair well, the should have been gone earlier. He was. And now the board. You're right. Yeah. The coach should be, the coach, job of the coach should be advertised. You know, so it, and that hasn't, ha- hasn't happened. And then have somebody have a panel of people, a panel of people who can, who could, you know, understand winning and understand what makes a coach. And they would then interview those people at the side. Great idea. The system they've got now is hopeless. So that's my only concern. However, we want to be grateful for small mercies. Those two are gone, and we hope you never see them again. Uh, Oh, listen, talking about resignations, we've lost the Optus CEO. She's gone, yeah. Yeah, Boy, oh, boy, she had to be. Woman with a a hyphen in her name, Rosmarin or something. Yeah, she's gone. Hopeless. I mean, really hopeless, absolutely hopeless, but there we are. Now, the hopeless seem to prevail in this world, don't they? This lovely you're, woke world you're not wrong. They sort of float to the top, in don't lovely they? lovely woke world. They keep yeah. popping their heads up and getting jobs. <laughs> oh, God, dear. There we are. I'll let you go, mate. Good to, good to have you on the All program. Right. Righto, Chris. Thank you, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Yes, he hosts his uh, current affairs show this week, ADH.TV. Uh, Alan Jones, great to have him on this program and to get through some of the big stories making uh, headlines in Australia today, making headlines down under. Just before I get to a news break, Australia's richest person 
Gina Reinhardt has taken aim at Mark Zuckerberg, urging him to do more to combat scam accounts impersonating her and other celebrities. This has got well and truly out of control. Gina Reinhardt, in a letter to the Meta CEO, said numerous scammers on his social media networks have been using her name and likeness to swindle others out of their money. Ms. Reinhardt penned the November 9 letter on behalf of other celebrities, such as Harry Triggerboff, the Meriton CEO, entrepreneur Dick Smith, and I know that um, also uh, Koshy, David Kosh, has been mentioned adversely repeatedly, though. Repeatedly. He complains to Facebook and they do bugger all about it. Uh, just because people might have a high profile doesn't mean they should not be trashed just for sport. And someone at Met, someone at Facebook have to pretend that they're not a robot, they're real people, and do something about it. Well done to Gina Reinhardt. Well done to her. Got to take a break. Get you some news. And uh, soon after that, I'll speak to um, a respected psychiatrist about gender transitioning. This is TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. Uh Uh-oh. Scandal. Huge news. This is very important. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were incredible scenes in Spain over the weekend where tens of thousands of people took to the street in Madrid protesting the country's socialist prime minister. Moscow claims to have turned the tables on the West as its sanctions failed to crash the Russian economy. And Israel has been accused of resorting to increasingly wild disinformation online as it loses its grip on the narrative surrounding the war in Gaza. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Lozzie's back on our chat box saying, what if I don't have Twitter? Well, I'm just suggesting to you, Lozzie, that Twitter or X is a place where you can watch the video streaming of this particular program and other programs on TNT Radio. That's an option for you. Go to the website if you don't use Twitter or have a Twitter account. No problem. I'm just telling you that day by day by day, you will find this particular radio network available to be video streamed on other streaming services. It'll happen and grow exponentially. And so Twitter is there if you want to take part that way. If you don't, don't worry. Well, if you listen to this program on a regular basis, you'd know where I stood on the battle over gender affirmation medicine. I cannot believe how many politicians, bureaucrats and health practitioners, especially in the United States, are all for the affirmation of children who think they need to change gender. Even worse, I'm convinced that US state laws forbidding parents from knowing what their own children are doing in this regard will be proved to be illegal. And we've got a number of court cases going on as I speak. And I'm just as convinced that the reason these dangerous and irresponsible policies are being pushed is because of aggressive trans activism and individuals who are simply too weak to push back. Well, it's time to stand and applaud today because two experienced Australian psychiatrists are calling on their fellow doctors to resist the pressure of activism, which is triggering a rush to affirm distressed children's chosen gender. 
The pair used an academic paper to remind and warn the medical profession of the scandal that unfolded at London's Tavistock Clinic, which we've spoken about time and time again on this program, where hundreds of children were unnecessarily put on puberty blockers and therapy to change their gender. One of those psychiatrists is Dr. George Hallas, is a consultant, child and adolescent specialist and adjunct senior lecturer from the Monash Medical Centre. He joins us now from Melbourne, Dr. George Hallas. Welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Why are we even having this discussion? Surely making psychological and even surgical, sorry, physiological and even surgical changes to a child with the aim of helping them change gender is the very last card and should be the very last card in the pack. Well, Chris, I think many of us agree that the health profession, all sides of the health profession is there to help people who are suffering. Young people who suffer with gender dysphoria genuinely suffer The problem is that the medical profession is split on how best to approach that suffering. As you mentioned, there's the gender-affirming approach that is modelled on a Dutch model that has now gone into more or less disrepute because of various technical reasons. And then there's a comprehensive approach, which is time-tested, more cautious and more encompassing. And that's where the battleground is that we all want the best for these children and their mums and dads and caregivers and siblings indeed also who suffer. But the medical health profession has got split into two camps, at least two camps, on what is the best approach to alleviate this suffering. When these children come to a doctor about their gender dysphoria, and I mean a psychiatrist as well, how likely are they to have some deep-seated mental health issues to begin with? Now, that's at the heart of the matter. You've really started off at the very deepest end, that when a young person comes to a health professional with any suffering, be it gender dysphoria or anything else, the question should be, what is the child's relationship in the context of his family and in the school and in society? That's the more conservative, overarching view of the encompassing medicine. The affirmative model in the extreme just says, of course, you want to change your gender. I'm here to help you do that. Mm. Now, in between is the argument that some people profess to do a more holistic assessment under the umbrella of affirmative care. But that's the crisis that happened at the Tavistock. They claimed to be doing something which in practice was not happening. That was the scandal. Is what happened at Tavistock happening in Australia, do you think? Now, I have to say that what our paper addressed was the known facts of the Tavistock over the last decade and a half. So it's documented. One of the cases has gone to the High Court in in the UK. We documented all the forensic investigations. What you're asking me, Chris, is to speculate about what is happening in the Australian system. And all I can say is that hospitals traditionally audit their practices. Mm. The Tavistock audited their practice, and despite the audit, 
yeah. the scandal progressed. So it has the potential to happen in Australia. That's my conclusion anyway. So what's happening at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, Doctor, where gender affirmative medicine is basically centred? They've just endorsed a radical expansion of the affirmative model, backing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones by GPs. What are they refusing to look at what came out of Tavistock? Well, that's you're, you're getting right to the heart of the matter, Chris, again. What they have got uh, at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne is purportedly an Australian-endorsed gender guideline, which is not endorsed by the National Health and Medical Research Council for the reason that it does not meet the strict criteria that the National Health and Medical Research Council demands for guidelines. So this is not of that quality. What you raise is their most recent edition, which was recently published, edition 1.4 of their guideline, which it appears to me on a surface reading, omits any reference to any of the turmoil that has gone on in the last two to three years any reference to the Tavistock incident, any reference to either positive or negative papers published in the last two or three years. Now, this is my reading of it, and I'll ask your listeners and viewers that they may also wish to follow up because, I mean, we all make mistakes, we can overlook something, but I don't find any reference to the controversies, the scandal at the Tavistock, any reference to the to these major debates within the medical profession. About it's scientifically the- irresponsible not to make reference to it in some way. Well, I, I think it'll be for others to judge the scientific responsibility. We bring to highlight that in our paper, there's ample evidence that we reference and document in our scientific scholarship and approach. It'll be up to others to judge what the Royal Children's Hospital paper stands up to. Okay, let me put it to you this way. Are those at the Royal Children's Hospital in this particular area deliberately ignoring the literature because it conflicts with their virtue signalling approach to gender affirmation? Chris, you're putting me in an extremely difficult position. There's a culture there, Doctor. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know it from the outside. What I would suggest is that the Royal Children's Hospital should be asked those questions about their own internal workings, Mm. not from someone who's written a paper with Andrew Amos, my colleague, about the Tavistock. So you're asking for inferences, but your questions I totally understand. I agree with the need for a specific answer to your question, and I would suggest that you approach the Royal Children's Hospital for comment. Parents of children who are in this troubling space need to look at what I think you two have described as newly emerging evidence. Yes. Um, Because some of these clinics don't, as you say, don't even mention what happened at Tavistock. So it's up to parents to protect their children, isn't it? Well, it's always been the tradition that parents are the first port, port, port of safety and trust. Yeah. Now, that, I believe, from my encounters with many professionals and many parents, that trust has been shredded during the last few years with this gender medical approach. And that is that some parents' gut feelings have been undermined 
that the affirmative model claims that they're doing it in the best interest of the child, to which we ask, show us the data, show us the scientific fact, show us the evidence, because there's so much controversy that this Royal Children's Hospital guideline fails to even mention. So I, I agree that parents are in an extraordinarily difficult situation. You know, it's only until I read the article that you were featured in, and therefore this was an article based on your academic report, it's only then that I changed my mind. That is, I thought that the transgender activism that had put pressure on our clinics to assist children to transition, I thought that this was coming from external sources. Do you think it's coming internally? Chris, the question of what is external and internal, I know there's a boundary around a hospital, like I would be regarded as external to the Royal Children's Hospital. Yeah. My colleagues and I would be regarded as internal if we're regarded as the medical practitioner community. That's why we address our paper to the wider medical concern of the ethics in this. It's not whether you're inside or outside, internal or external. Medicine has always been governed by ethical principles. First, do no harm. Second, the right to child for effective treatment. Now, the question is, where is the evidence that this is effective? Mm. And that's why the title of our paper actually is to please reconsider the ethics and the doctor's role. The atrogenesis means the role of the doctor in gender medicine. There's so much information in the last two years that demands, as medical practitioners, we reconsider what's going on, not just at the Royal Children's Hospital, in all gender clinics around the world. It's such a welcome warning that you're issuing. I just feel that the whole pathway in terms of gender dysphoria is being adversely impacted by a radical form of social activism. What would, would you say to, to that? Yes, I would say that the pathways that you talk about has been derailing safe ethical medicine. There's a shining light in Australia from a group that I was asked to consult with on their own guideline, the National Association of Practicing Psychiatrists, NAPP, and on their website, they've got an alternative set of guidelines to which I was acting as a consultant along with many other people. Uh -huh. That would be the pathway that I would suggest is more ethically informed than the affirmative model, certainly than the Tavistock practice. And that's the reason it was regarded as not fit for purpose. Yeah. Just imagine a center of excellence declared not fit for purpose and closed down. Yeah, I'd love to speak to you again, especially when some of the court cases begin in Australia, as has occurred currently in the United States, where those young people who were convinced that they needed to change gender end up being adults and are now taking the clinicians and the clinic and anyone they could find to court because they've had irreversible damage done to their lives and their body. This is going to happen in Australia, isn't it? Well, that is precisely the clinical case that our paper documents in forensic detail. And the population you're talking about is called the detransitioners. Yeah. They are young people who transitioned one way and then for various reasons decided that there was a wrong pathway for their resolution of their problems and wished to detransition. That is the case our paper documents.
Dr. George Hallett, thank you very much for the warning. I'm so glad that you're getting this out far and wide, including on TNT Radio. We'll do our bit to continue that warning and that message. And I look forward to speaking to you again on this subject. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much indeed. A pleasure. All right. Child and adolescent specialist, psychiatrist, basically, Dr. George Hallett, who's stepping out of what is considerably a comfort zone to issue a warning to the medical fraternity. They've got to back off. I'm putting it in my words, but back off and allow these children to sort out their problems with proper clinicians and medical experts, but don't push them into the irreversible pathway to change their gender. It's just appalling. And we've seen that with Tavistock, but in this country, for some reason, um, the place that put these guidelines in in order, in place, are not even referencing what's going on in Tavistock. That sort of has this stench of social activism from internal forces within the medical profession. Anyway, we'll get back to that topic, as I know you can uh, rely on, because I've been at it and at it over and over again. Let's take a break. We'll come back very shortly with Renee Heath from Victoria. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Once again, I'm going to quote from my buddy Mark Marano's Climate Depot. This is just unbelievable what I see going on at this summit between Biden and the Chinese government. As a matter of fact, the most alarming thing is that John Kerry was anywhere around that place. These two guys and their administrations have been bullying the United States of America over a problem that even if it existed, we have very little to do with it. Australia, UK, you have nothing to do with it. Canada, you have nothing to do with it. Seriously, if you look at the amount of CO2 you put in the air compared to total CO2, it truncates to zero. Now, who is the biggest polluter, if you want to call CO2 pollutant? It's China. So expert raise alarm after Biden strikes climate agreement with China to shut down fossil fuels. What, what kind of insanity is this? China thumbs their nose and laughs at the rest of the world. And guess what? It's our fault they do it. You know why? They know darn well that this is not a big disaster. They know darn well they have to push forward their population. I mean, I realize China's in bad shape as far as freedoms go, but they are trying to work in their own whatever manner to try to create more freedoms and more prosperity for China. So of course they're going to sit there and try to stop the United States. And these guys just walk right into it. It's disgusting. Americans are letting a guy and his buddy John Kerry bully them over a situation they have precious little to do with. Let me read you the facts. CO2 is 0.042% of the atmosphere. Man is responsible for 3 to 5% of that. The United States is responsible for 10% of that total. Australia, Canada, the UK, about 1%. Essentially, it's nothing. Much ado about nothing. They weaponize weather in a phony climate war. It's unbelievable. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I need to go get my rabies shots. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling. But we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy. 
and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're going to figure it out together. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, let's get straight to Renee, Renee Heath, MLC. She holds a Bachelor of Health Science and Bachelor of Applied Science in Chiropractic, which has got nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, she's always been a prolific volunteer. She holds the upper house seat for Eastern Victoria for the Liberal Party. Renee Heath, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. That's okay. And so I just tell all our guests, seeing that you're on Zoom and people can see the video streaming from today, we can actually see you, so don't sort of you know, go, nah, 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 or stick your tongue out at me, please, because, you know, everyone's going to see it. Okay, I'll, I'll try to behave myself, but just don't say anything that will make me want to stick my tongue out at you. Yeah, okay, <laughs> all right, all right, that's a fair deal. That is a yeah. fair deal. Hey, Labor copter a scare in the Mulgrave by-election on Saturday. This, of course, the former Dan Andrews seat. Some good signs for the Liberal Party. What do you make of it? I, I think it is an extremely promising result for the Liberals. And while the final preference results aren't in yet, it was a huge swing away from Labor, 11% in one of its safest seats. So I think it'll be deeply stressful and deeply worrying for Labor and for the officials. Of course, a chunk of that 11% will flow has flowed back, but I think it still shows that the damage has been done And traditional working class Labor voters are really sick of the modern day Labor Party. Oh, without doubt. Yeah, they're looking elsewhere. So it's just, I think, up to us, the Liberal Party, to show people that we are a viable alternative and that's what we're going to be really working hard on for the next next three years. Yeah, you've needed a little bit of a fillip. It hasn't been a great decade. You've needed a little bit of fillip and this could be the turning point for you. I think I well, I think it is. And I think people want to see that a party that is going to put people back in the centre of politics. They're sick of career politicians that are in it for themselves and they want to see the real deal. And Senator James Patterson said once, and I've never forgotten it, that people take an interest in politics when politics takes an interest in them. Mm. In other words, when politics begins to affect your life, you begin to take notice. And that has happened over the last, you know, particularly four or five years in Victoria because of the uncontrolled spending, the over-governance in certain areas. People are feeling it and and we're seeing a vote, a cha- a vote in the the trends and I, I hope that we continue to see that turnaround. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, over the weekend, news broke on a podcast that an FOI request by the Victorian Fire and Rescue Union, uh, I may have the name of the union uh, not not uh, specifically right, but they had a successful FOI request. And you've done some work on this. A WorkSafe document has been uncovered showing that COVID vaccine injuries had decimated staffing in the fire and rescue brigade but not only was the document kept secret by the andrews government because you couldn't tell people that there were adverse reactions to vaccines that was a no-no we all had to go to jail if we mentioned that um but they're still insisting to this day that a Mm. vaccine mandate needs to exist for firefighters one it's a drastic smothering of the truth and what a gross hypocrisy I think it's terrible. And I've always said I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm anti-mandate. And there's a there's many reasons for that. But the information revealed by this FOI 
request was really confronting. But what was even more confronting and concerning is how if the Fire Rescue Victoria and the Firefighters Union seem to have covered it up. So FRV are the only agency, only fire agency in Australia that still has COVID-19 vaccine requirements, and that includes a booster mandate. Their own risk assessment acknowledged the side effects of the vaccine and even listed them. They said the side effects may include myocarditis, pericarditis, thrombosis, and the list goes on. So every single medication, and this is why I am anti-mandate, every single medication has a potential side effect. And what we have seen is coercion. And in Australia and in our lifetime, it's completely wrong. It is not up to your boss or it is not up to your union to make a decision about your health. It's up to you. And and one of the basis, one of the foundations of medicine is informed consent. And with mandates, that is completely taken away. And it is time for Fire, Fire Rescue Victoria and the unions to stand up for its people. So right now, I'm worried for the thousands of fireys that have been, um, you know, they've been affected by this, but also that the information has been deliberately kept away from them, despite many attempts of people to try to get their hands on this report. So right now, there are a whole heap of firefighters that are vaccine injured. Some are still working. Some are on sick leave or work care. But to have your employer keep this information for you for six months is dreadful. And as it was said on that podcast, the idea that the firefighters union was working to keep this information suppressed is absolutely horrifying. But worst of all, to still have these mandates in place is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I've spoken against this in the parliament. I've spoken about it with nurses. We've got a shocking shortage of nurses. We've got a shocking shortage of firefighters. It should be up to the individual to make that choice about their health. And the fact that FRV are now, you know, going through a humiliating staff shortage is because of their own, the way they've managed this. It's just been ridiculous. Yeah. He he wasn't called the chairman for nothing, Dan Andrews, when he was premier. (laughs) One quick thing. I've only got two minutes left. You were involved in discussions about stalking last week, stalking laws. I know this space well, having having written a book and did a great deal of research on stalked the book. Um, the stats in the US are alarming. 30% of stalkers will eventually kill their targets. You can't consider stalking a misdemeanor, can you? Absolutely not. And um, this is a really important one. Stalking is different to other offences. Because unlike other violent effects, offences, it's a pattern of things that are often legal. It is not legal to see somebody down the street. It is not legal. So sometimes these things are really hard to prove and it's minimised. But our laws around stalking must be strengthened. I um, have spoken about it a little bit, but actually right here, I've got a document which was which was produced um, after the incident I spoke about, which obviously don't have time to go into now. But the Victorian Law Reform Commission um, in September tabled a document in Parliament and it was 45 different recommendations that we needed to do to strengthen our our stalking laws and none of them have been done. So I am calling on the Parliament to make sure that this is 
that our laws are strengthened because the lives of um, many people depend on it and it's just something we need to get done. Yeah, absolutely. Very quickly, just t- 10 seconds, I noticed you were at a barbecue and feasting on very gamey meat. Do you like <laughs> roux? Oh, well, I didn't have roux. I have had it before. I Look, it's not my favourite meat, but <laughs> I had that particular barbecue you were talking about. I had the most delicious goat burger. Goat so, burger? It was a goat burger, and it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have a look and see if my butcher can supply some goat to make a burger. All right. Um, I guess some people like that. Great stuff. But Renee Heath, thank you very much for your time.